Okay, so Shelley is also doing something of really interesting in terms of, I think it was a conversation that started with maybe even the OVPP, not only what she was thinking about before that, of just building a workforce here. People who love this place, want to stay, and we all know the problem we have as nonprofits of sort of let's pay people as little as we possibly can, hope they really want to ski and stay for a while. And that happens to too many of us. So Shelly, let's, let's fix that. Yeah, so thanks for inviting me to talk. And yeah, Mario and I met about something related to the OVPP and had a really interesting conversation about um, you know, how, how our workforce functions in Crested Butte and what that means for our nonprofits and how we can try to change the culture. Um, so uh, I started as the executive director at the museum. It's going to be three years ago in January. So. Um, it's gone very quickly. I could hardly believe that when I was thinking about it. And we're a small independent nonprofit like a lot of the ones in the Valley. We don't get any um, regular tax funding or anything like that. So basically our budget is all generated by what we do. Our payroll is generated by how we raise money. And so um, <clears throat> uh, we're like a lot of the small nonprofits here. And when I started, I actually had worked at the museum when uh, both when we were at Second and Sopris and then when we moved to Elk as the store manager and buyer. And our structure was pretty similar when I came back 10 years later. We had a, a, a part-time-ish uh, director and then very part-time store manager, uh, part-time uh, curator or collections manager. And and then our cashier staff that would run the museum itself. So all uh, seasonal workers, everybody's paid hourly and um, no benefits. And uh, the compensation uh, for most of the employees was definitely on that. Well, you know, this is Crested Butte and this is a nonprofit and you know, we, it's hard to make money. So let's just see how much we can get by with. So, um, I was fortunate that when I started, the board had started to engage in a strategic planning process. So we had a, we had a sort of a, a you know framework for a strategic plan, and that was very helpful with looking at what uh, priorities we had and talking with the board about it. But one thing that I really noticed, kind of as we were talking about it, was that kind of building our workforce, investing our human, in our human capital, wasn't anywhere in there. And I do think that. Um, you know, when you look back, all the things that we do to forward our mission are really based on the people that are doing it, particularly in our operation, because we, we both um, have a building and a collection that we have to take care of, and that all takes time. And we also have uh, a store that we run. And so much of that really is dependent on people who are um, skilled and committed and experienced uh, running that. And, and uh, you know, I think it's very interesting at the museum, we're sort of at a cross-section of a bunch of different factors that kind of keep wages low. Uh, we're a nonprofit. We are part of the museum world, which has a you know, terrible reputation for underpaying people. <laughs> um, we are in Crested Butte, which also does. And, um, and most of our staff is women. And you know, we've got the wage gap or the pig collar kind of issue going on there. So 
uh, I think there are a lot of factors that lead to people thinking that we don't really deserve to get paid a lot. Uh, some of it, like Mario mentioned, is the Crested Butte thing and uh, people really just love this place and want to ski so they're going to be willing to put up with low wages. Um, we also think of nonprofits often as through these charities and that all the funding should go specifically towards the mission and that somehow any, any money that goes to payroll is um, a problem and that uh, funders won't really look at that positively. You know, I do think that there are people in the Valley, um, a friend of mine in particular that's a donor, likes, will only give to organizations where, all, where it's volunteer driven and all the money goes to the service that they provide. I respect that, I don't ask her for money. So, um, but, <laughs> but I think that there are organizations that can do that, but like I was saying with the museum, we need humans that, that perform these operations for us to even uh, fulfill our mission. So, um, so payroll is, is an important part of us being able to carry out our mission. I also think that sometimes we think, oh, people work at nonprofits and they get to be part of this cause that they're passionate about, so they really don't need to get paid very much. Um, and um, and then there's also the idea that we're really working with limited budgets and we want as much as we can to go towards our our mission and we just can't find the dollars you know in our budget to pay people better so there are I'm sure we can all we can open it up to the other factors that kind of feed into this issue that we have with um, with with just not kind of getting even uh, comp living wages you know um, for our staff here. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, personally, and I'm part of an executive director chat, and this topic came up because it's a national problem, not just a local problem. And at one point, somebody with a budget, quite a, a lot, lot, we're at like 206, and they were a little over 350, just saying, how can we even build it into our budget? You know, we want to pay people better. And somebody said, or like, how can we make it happen? And and um, a few people said, you just have to build it into your budget. Like, you can't sort of throw up your hands and say, sorry, you know, you really have to make a considered effort. Otherwise, it'll just be business as usual. And that really struck me because um, I think as somebody new to an organization and we had been struggling financially for quite a while and we're kind of, you know, getting into the black. And I mean, my job is to make sure that we're functioning in the black, of course, but you know, after that, what else are we going to put effort into? And just saying, you know, this is something that we just have to do really made me think, okay, you know, we got to make this a priority. Um, and so I do think that 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 nonprofits, we all are part of them. They are an integral part of our community uh, in the U.S. where you know, we don't have tax funded. A lot of our, the, the where other places there might be tax funding that goes towards particular services or museums or things like that. You know, we really are, we, we perform that as independent nonprofits. And so I think it's very important to think about what we do. We provide essential services, we are economic drivers, we, we're part of what really defines our communities. And so we really need to think about investing in the workforce to make sure that we can continue to do, um, to provide the, the what we do in our communities. So. Um, one thing that struck me when I started at the museum is when we went through our first uh, cycle of looking at wages and bonuses uh, and raises and that kind of thing was that um, a board member of ours at the time said, you know, this is awesome, we're in the black, you know, this is where we need to be and the way that we're going to continue to do that is to keep an eye on our expenses 
and our main expense is payroll and so we just need to you know control payroll and that's how we're gonna be a successful organization and I thought oh boy you know <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that actually I don't agree with that at all and um, so it made me also realize that we needed to also internally have a culture change about how we look at um, compensation and payroll uh, and rather that coming at it sort of from a scarcity perspective try to look at how from abundance you know how can we get the money to take to invest in our in our human capital and there's also I mean that's a, a, a strategic business decision as well retention and investing in your people really in the end is going to uh, benefit you even on a bottom line uh, I think we face uh, turnover we face burnout and all those factors mean that then we have to we lose people with um, with knowledge and experience and passion and that really um, affects the bottom line so to try to come to it from the perspective of you know how much can we squeeze out of this person to what can we do to invest in our human capital um, and frankly just practice respect in our HR um, culture is um, it was a shift that I think we needed to do and it all takes time um, but uh, so we've made incremental changes, like Mario said. Unfortunately, I don't have like do these five things and everything's going to be great, you know. So, um, so I'll, I'll talk about some of the things that we started to do um, to move in this direction, and then um, it'd be interesting to open up to a conversation too. So, um, so one thing that we did was um, to first look at you know where where do we get the money for payroll, and it really comes from for us from mostly from general operating um, so just to kind of look at the budget and say okay where does that general operating come from for us part of its earned income memberships and um, donations basically are those sources so then we looked at how how can we increase those various areas um, to have more money to pay people uh, one thing with grant funding fortunately the community foundation will fund general operating so um, I'm really grateful for that and there is a conversation going on in the nonprofit community right now about funding and um, how much of it is tied to you know particular programs and you know, and a lot of funders will say that they won't pay for anything that has to do with payroll um, which I think is really unfortunate uh, it really devalues the people that run nonprofits um, and so uh, we um, were thrilled and have always applied. We have to sit out next year, unfortunately, at the Community Foundation, but you know, uh, made sure to make grants that support our operations a priority, or also grants where you can build payroll in. And um, when building that grant, you know, say, okay, we're going to develop this exhibit, and that will include these supplies. We will also include this amount of time, and so that way we were able to uh, bump up hours uh, and um, we also looked at well we changed our fiscal year because we used to be on a calendar year and so it's pretty difficult in when you're doing budget planning in November to say how much money do we have for raises and bonuses so it really was the the attitude of how much people were getting paid was coming more out of well this is what we do or how little can we give people rather than this is what our year looked like how can we reward the people that 
helped us make that happen. So now we're on, um, if anybody wants to consider that, I'm happy to talk to you because it is kind of a pain, but I can teach you, like, but I'm not teach you, but I can uh, share with you the lessons that I learned if you do want to change your fiscal year so you don't have to learn them the hard way like we did. But, um, but now what we're looking at is doing budget planning in March because the end of our, our fiscal year is May 1st through April 30th. And, and in March, we, we have a really good idea of what our year looked like and what, um, and so that way we can go into looking at compensation and, uh, but, but be really realistic about it and really tie it to numbers. Um, and I think tying it to numbers also, and being very transparent with the staff about um, what our numbers look like, also really helps. It's like, okay, you know, we're, if we get more grant funding here or earn more money there, that will translate to bonuses and raises, so to um, or more hours, uh, more hours. So to really have this be not a top-down kind of authoritarian. We'll tell you, you know, we'll 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 grant you this, you know, raise or whatever at some point. But to be transparent with the staff and that everybody's involved in, and getting us to a point where we can add, uh, where we can buff up our payroll, and. Um, we also did a, uh, our first audit for in 2016 for 2015, and then we just finished a financial review. And I think that's a really interesting process. It costs money, but um, one thing that I was just thinking about because we did our exit interview with the um, auditor a couple weeks ago was the way that he broke down our financials with our board member. And one thing was and on the expense part of it, because it's different than a P&L or a budget or whatever, you know, the way that they look at it and trying to look at it from a funder's perspective, um, was that he said with payroll, ours is at 63% of our expenses right now. And he said, yeah, I like to see it, you know, like around 60 or 60 to 70%, because if it's lower, then it shows that you don't really have a culture that invests in your staff. And so, but if it's, you know, higher, then maybe, you know, you need to be looking at um, what you're doing with your money. And I thought that was really interesting to actually have an, an auditor that works with funders say, I'm trying to put myself into a funder's perspective, say, if you're not paying people enough, you know, how sustainable is your organization? How much are you investing in your culture? So um, that gave me both the encouragement and the talking point for all of us of, you know, this is actually something where sure we're gonna have that that um, donor private donor like my friend who's who's not who's gonna look at that and say oh yeah forget it, but actually I think there are you know we want to align ourselves with uh, funders that are gonna say that share our values and that are gonna look at that number and say you're doing the right thing. So um, I actually kind of like the audit financial review thing, but <laughs> um, who was your auditor? <laughs> Uh, Taylor Roth. Taylor Roth. Yeah, and we, you know, we did have some. It, it can be frustrating with working with, and we did have some delays that ended up being challenging. But it's been a really interesting. You know, you just learn a lot, and um, I think that's really worth it. Uh, so one thing that we did is the that sort of culture that we have in Crested Butte, where we have a lot of these part-time positions that people cobble together to try to create a living. It's really difficult to manage. Um, uh, Nell Burkett, who's our collections curator, you know, she had a real part-time thing with us, and then another part-time thing with another nonprofit, and then picking up shifts at the coffee shop, and 
you know, I mean, it just, it's very stressful. And it, it's not that great for the organization either because she was really splitting her time between all these different demands that were saying, because she's so awesome, like, we need you and we need you now to do this. <laughs> and, um, and so what we ended up doing is saying, you know, this position, you know, we need to focus on the collection. We know that's a strategic priority. We can add some other elements of um, administration into the job, like working with um, events and that kind of thing, to really turn it into something so that she could have one job rather than three. And, uh, and so ways that we found it were like by the same grant funding and, and just looking at operations and stuff and being able to fund that position. And now we're um, also gradually increasing our store manager buyer's position into something that is gonna turn more into a full-time thing too. So um, uh, that I think is really uh, important for uh, the health of the organization and also the health of the employees because um, it is difficult being pulled in so many different directions. So then I also wanted to really look into benefits and health seemed like a big one. Once we got, had that second full-time employee, um, you know, we're still, you know, we're not working 60-hour weeks and we still get paid hourly, which I think is actually really important for us to really track our time and get compensated for what we do as we're going through all these shifts. Um, but we thought, so you need at least two people to be able to um, get uh, health insurance through your company. And so we worked with Gary Shondack and did all the paperwork and got all the numbers and everything. And we're like, okay, this is awesome. And you know, the museum will pay its portion. That'll be you know a, another form of compensation. And then we thought, well, let's. Uh, Gary actually said, wait, wait, how much money do you guys make? Let's make sure we compare about what you'd be spending getting your insurance through the ACA. And it was considerably less through the through the um, ACA because we don't, at this point, yet earn a whole lot of money. You know, hopefully, yes, we'll get there soon and people will be in a position where it'll be less expensive to get health insurance through their employer. But at this point, it was less through the ACA. And, um, you know, obviously there are those considerations too of what comes out pre-income tax and everything. And um, with, with me, our daughter is a junior right now uh, it's always good to have some of that stuff come out of your income beforehand. But it actually ended up being a real problem for the other employees. So we ended up, you know, they, they weren't facing the same benefit. And so I think it was important to look at the organization as a whole. And so we ended up not pursuing um, adding health insurance to the company at that time. But we, as we know, we're in a time of uncertainty that could change at any time and it's something that at least we have the infrastructure set up for right now and um, that was kind of disappointing for me because I really thought oh, this would be such a great selling point but what we ended up realizing is it was just better to give people more money and have them do what they want with it and I think it's interesting when you look at benefits that way like for example you, know, you could give somebody a wellness benefit but if they're getting taxed on it why not just give people more money and then they can spend it the way they want to you know so that's kind of what we decided um, I guess I'm just really kind of nuts and bolts that way um, I think that unless it's coming out of your income pre-tax and you get a benefit on it from that side I don't really see the point in coming up with these sort of benefits that um, 
where you could just give people money. So, <laughs> um, but we did look at other ways of having uh, some pre-tax income that would be helpful. And so we've been working on that um, this year. So in 2017, uh, especially after kind of a or tricky early summer with uh, trying to staff the museum, and I think we're also facing a different uh, culture in Crested Butte Night right now with the uh, issues that we have with housing shortages and staffing demands and everything, and I frankly welcome that, that we're gonna have to step it up a little bit rather than be like, oh, everybody just wants to work for nothing because it's such an awesome place. We actually have to get more competitive with, our, with people um, everything from administrative staff to people that are going to be working the cashier at the museum because um, there there's just a lot more demand and less supply right now so that means that we have to step it up as organizations so we um, through the community foundation uh, worked with Tina Brzezinski on kind of evaluating our overall HR um, structure and uh, and then, so with her, we looked at you know some of the nuts and bolts organizationy stuff, like looking at job descriptions and org charts, and uh, making sure that we had a good uh, employee handbook and regular performance reviews, all those things that really get tied into um, how you can best compensate people through salary uh, and bonuses and that kind of thing. But then with benefits, um, we could find two pre-tax benefits that were helpful given our structure. One of them is um, getting supplemental insurance through AFLAC. And if you have at least three employees that part, it's a, so AFLAC is like a supplemental insurance that basically they pay the insured person on, it's like a different sort of <coughs> custom plans that you can sign up for. And the, the employee pays for it, but it can. Um, if you have three people sign up, you can get a company rate for it, and it and it can come out of uh, people's income before they're um, taxed on it. And so, um, so that's something that um, that we're signing up for. Um, the other thing that people were into was a, um, a simple R IRA, and we're going to start that at the beginning of next year. So that way you get your, um, in, your retirement contributions come out pre-tax, pre-income tax, and then uh, there's an employer uh, match as well. So that's a nice form of compensation that at least is pre-tax. And this was all something, you know, where basically the way that we did it was explore some options. Like we're <coughs> we had a board member that committed to being um, sort of our HR expert that would show up that would be a part of all these conversations, um, and then met with the staff and said, what do you think? You know, is this something that you want to do? Is this something that you see a value to? If yes, we'll move forward. If not, we won't. And so far, that those two things, the AFLAC and the IRA, um, are both things that um, people see value in. So we got a, um, through the Community Foundation, a $500 mini grant to sort of help us, um, since we're going to be in budget planning, but to help us bridge that gap as we, because I mean, this stuff will take money, the museum is going to, it will take, uh, well, quite, you know, quite a bit, but that's what we're doing, uh, to fund, um, to match an IRA and that kind of stuff. 
And so this is helping us kind of bridge our gap as we go into our next budget building cycle and build it in. So, um, and then the other thing was that there definitely has been a culture shift in the board in terms of um, even looking at, at raises. So I, uh, you know, it was great to have um, this particular board member who said, yeah, I want to be a part of this, this, these discussions with Tina about what we're doing with HR. And she's a real advocate for, um, for the staff. Um, and the board supported that. And then um, there is also, uh, we've moved from, like when we're looking at raises for our cashiers, I've noticed that the conversation has moved from, oh, well, you know, everybody else, gosh, at CBMR, you know, we can get people to, to you know, work the ticket counter for whatever it is. You know, it's changed, you know, 10, 11 bucks an hour or something, so why should we give people raises to, you know, oh, we, you know we've had people here for 12 years, you know, like, they, they are so committed to our organization, they deserve to be getting a regular, you know, more than just a total minimal cost of living uh, raise. Now, I'm not saying it's a ton because, as I said, we're evolving into incremental changes, but I think that, and the culture shift in the board took a couple years, but um, I'm uh, happy where we are and that we're, um, you know, that we're going to be able to move forward. And as I'm really excited to go into this budget cycle and really look into, you know, what can we do to make sure that we are in the black, but that we still, um, but but beyond that, you know, we really and that we're, you know, putting money into our operating reserve and everything. But other than that, we really need to compensate employees and make that a priority. So, oh, one other thing, um, you know, we're continuing to look at grants that support payroll, but one shift that I've done, which is a bit of a risk, but because um, we're in the middle of a, a build, uh, building preservation campaign, we, and uh, we just finished off phase one, then we will tomorrow, so that's pretty exciting. That means that I have a ton of paperwork to do <laughs> in the next few weeks. But, um, but we're raising money for phase two, and we discovered that our west wall is rotting, so it's even more than we expected, but it's something that we have to do, so. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty typical with old buildings. It just we figured we'd find something out, but <laughs> but uh, some of our you know now that I've got almost three years under our belt and I've been able to develop some relationships with some of our major donors. And for us, major is really anything above somebody who makes a thousand dollar gift. Um, you know, just a couple weeks ago, I had a donor talk to me saying. You know, we'd like to make a gift. How are things going with the building campaign? And I said, you know, they're going pretty well. This is what we're looking at. We're going to do a far and, far and wide appeal. So for any of you in the north end of the valley, check your PO boxes. There's a cool <laughs> postcard in there. Uh, and um, you know, we're applying for grants, the historical fund, and all that. Like we're doing everything we can with that, and I think we can reach our goal. Right now, you know, I really feel like we could use your money in general operating because we really want to work on building uh, our um, HR. I had another donor who asked me how the building campaign was going, and I told him the same thing. I said, you know, I'd really, I'd really appreciate your support in general operating at this point because I really want to pay people better. And so, just, I mean, you never know how it means it puts more pressure on 
meeting our goals with the capital campaign through other means. Um, but I think it was worth it's worth having that conversation with donors and just being frank about it. You know that if that it's not a and and not being ashamed about it either. You know it's it's not bad to pay people. <laughs> and so. Um, and, uh, and it worked out with those other donors, so we'll see. There's one other that I'm, uh, I get to see next week that I'm gonna um, mention the same thing to. So, but I think, you know, the more angles you can kind of come at it, and we've really been working raising our earned income through more tours and, and those types of things, and that all goes into general operating. So I think uh, coming at it from a variety of angles and but still, and being still being realistic, but realizing that this has to be a priority, and and seeing a whole culture shift, um, you know, especially from the board because they're the ones who approve the budget. Uh, I think that that I think that we're we're moving in the right direction, and that way, I think if um, especially if as nonprofits, if we all can, you know, if we can see a culture shift happen in the valley too. Uh, and not just sort of say, oh, you know, those big nonprofits that pay all that money, you know, we're going to lose, Chad and I were talking about this on the drive over, you know, we're going to lose our people to those ones that pay more after they get their experience here, you know, for us to be able to, to provide that compensation ourselves so that we, um, you know, we can retain the people that are passionate about what we're doing. And, you know, people are always going to leave for different reasons, but I don't think we want it to be because we don't value uh, employees enough. Um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about this and extend the conversation, but one thing that I also wanted to uh, kind of hear your ideas about is, um, is, you know, I think in some ways paying people is <coughs> an awesome way to show appreciation, and I'm kind of a workhorse, you know, I like to show up and do my job and get my paycheck and make a difference, but, um, when we were meeting with Tina, we also talked about, you know, how how are some other ways beyond money that we can show um, appreciation to our um, to our staff? And I think that that can go a long way too. Um, you know, a thank you, of course, is saying thank you and um, being respectful is really important. But you know, people have just great ideas from like you know, gift cards to coffee shops or, um, you know, we do, um, we do end of season staff appreciation parties and that kind of thing, but, um, but I'd like to do more because I think that uh, saying thank you and I value you on a regular basis and we're really excited that you're part of this institution uh, beyond the annual or semi-annual performance review and annual raises and bonus thing is something that um, will kind of keep our, uh, energy level high and um, so I'd love to hear what you all do and or, or ideas that you have in terms of um, staff appreciation beyond raises and benefits I had something um, yeah I uh, what I worked at Project Hope for a period of time but when I took over it was uh, the Jubilee House um, we required a 24-hour advocate to carry our crisis line um, and it was volunteer because our budget was extremely bleak. Uh, so we came up with flex time. If the person carried the phone for 24 hours, they would get uh, four hours paid or something. I don't, it was really small at the beginning. It got larger and larger as time went on. But mm -hmm. 
um, kind of co compensated the person. Uh, it caused a little stress for me as the director because it put a little more workload on, on my plate, but mm -hmm. it kept the advocates happy and it was a way to kind of provide a service to them or provide something because they were providing a service to us without you know putting money out for it. So, and we kind of created that and then slowly you know started increasing the budget so that we could yeah, so making, so a flex time, flexible yeah, like schedule flex kind of thing. I don't know how that works in every nonprofit, but you know, if someone has to work an extra evening for an event or, you know, if anything's going on, it was a way to, per, you know, show that you appreciated their time. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Anybody else? Yeah, well, first of all, that was excellent. Thank you. Just because there's a lot that hits home for me right now. Um, Regarding your question, I think it's a really good question. It's something I've thought about a lot. Francis is now um, just started. We had hired somebody earlier. It was a 10-hour week position, very, very part-time. I learned a lot through having that person for just a short amount of time. Um, and this question rose to the top is, we're not going to keep anybody around because we don't pay much if we don't do more. And what can we do that's not value-added? So one of the things that I've I talked about is if she does three eight-hour days you know you always have that well, if you work four hours you get a 15 minute break it's law we have to do that well you know what like for a health organization exercise is important you know for uh, Francis can go uh, a Nordic ski and she'll have an amount of time that's considered part of her eight hours it's it's uh, I believe in that because I know I get a lot more work done and can be more efficient when I clear my head so I don't think her time being outside for a half an hour a day or maybe she combines it as an hour in one day. But um, so that's a way where we can give the employees an opportunity to get outside, get exercise, be healthy, clear of mind, come back and be productive, but it's not a bottom line dollar cost. Mm -hmm. That's just one idea. Um, I want to hear more, and it doesn't have to be maybe we meet later, I don't but I need help with is that culture shift that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to completely do it. I mean, I'm a bull in a china shop. I believe in it and I make it happen. And that's what I've done. You know, that's an attitude issue. But <laughs> it's um, not strategy. It's, it's, you know, it's strategy for sure. I built it into the budget. It took me two years fighting for it to get it. Mm -hmm. Francis now is going to have health insurance. Um, our situation, Gary Shondike is um, you can look at both. Like, we were on that cusp of either going group or not, um, like you were. Mm -hmm. um, it turned out going group was better for us <coughs> than deferring, so that our organization is only paying for one part. Um, my husband carries my health insurance. Um, I believe in this so much. We're a health organization that I'm willing to defer for now until that culture change actually is not quite there yet. I don't know how to get that culture change really to be in our organization. And <coughs> I don't feel, this is one time where I don't feel like I can make that happen because it's benefiting me. Mm -hmm. So how does the education happen? Uh, you have a staff so you can fight for them. I right? barely have staff and what I was fighting for was me. Yeah. And so I felt like the only way it was gonna happen is to defer anything for me. So it didn't look like it was for me mm -hmm. and it worked. We're on that track, but how do we change this culture? Because there's still like question and, and kind of background.
much. Oh, we're paying our staff too much. Mm -hmm. um, our percentages are going to be off. All the things you said, I, I wish if you could write that all down into the table. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I didn't do a handout. You had some, I was trying to write, you had some really well. Well, well and I can print out my talking points, actually, uh -huh. or I could email them or whatever. Yeah. Oh, or maybe you come speak to my board. But, um, <laughs> but I thought you did a very good job, but that culture change, I don't know how to, to keep that in the right direction. Other than being the bull and saying we have to do this, and I don't need to convince you of it, it's just what we have to do. Like, that's not culture change, that's being a bully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about that. Well, I mean, a couple of things I heard from Shelley was that, first of all, she, they built it into their strategic planning process a long time ago, so the infrastructure was there. And then you said you had a board member who was kind of came on as a champion for this, so it was the board talking to the board, not her begging for her salary, right? mm -hmm. as well as just shifting the way you talk to donors, because I think all of us are in that place of, oh, Nobody wants to fund general operating. We, mm -hmm. and, I mean, just learning how to talk to our donors, I think, is going to be really key. I mean, what I heard from both of these presentations was um, starting with a mindset of it isn't only about our mission, but it's our role as exemplars in a culture shift in the valley for the whole nonprofit sector. So it's more than just about me. I mean, Daniel was talking about the pipeline with Western, that's something that we've all been searching for for years, and mm -hmm. as well as building a meaningful workforce here. Um, so just the long range thinking, I was thinking maybe we could put uh, in our STEP roster of consultants, Shelley's going to be a consultant for STEP too, um, just having people who are really interested in doing this and maybe coming and talking to our boards or being available. But what, what about you? I mean, what do you guys think as far as how do you go about that culture shift? I, getting new, like, oh, um, just being strategic about recruiting new board members and not, like, almost an empty seat is better than a warm body that doesn't really know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's... I was on the board of directors before I took this position, and that, I'm like, no, I don't just want somebody to fill the seat. I'd rather have four board members that are on the same page and, and moving in the right direction and find that person with skills and experience that we want. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an exercise in patience. <laughs> but yeah. To, but to try to get your new board members, uh, business people are really helpful. They're really, we've got, three new board members, all business, business oriented that are, they get it, and that's, that's really helpful. Yeah, and that's interesting, because we did, um, I noticed a change in the conversation, and you know, like when they talk about, like, how many women you have on a board or something, like, you need at least 40% of either whatever, people of color, age, or whatever it is to have more of a, of a voice, and the, com yeah, the, there was more of a voice that was, advocating for keeping payroll low and it was um, it was a palpable shift I remember the board meeting where it was like oh now we have more people actually saying wow you know we need to compensate people and so the conversation shifted but before that when the critic when the when the critical mass was was against it um, you know it's really hard because like you said you, you know it's not like you're gonna change the conversation on your own, you know, especially if you're just advocating for yourself. So 
Yeah. Pam? You know, I've been with the foundation for a long time, and I started at a really pretty minimal amount of compensation. And over the years, the conversation within the board has always been we need to be looking toward the day when Pam retires. And how do we replace Lauren or Margie or Pam when they leave? And we have to be at a place where we can afford someone to come in to do the job that we've all been doing. Mm -hmm. And so that that little, and that, if you have a board member who can articulate that, mm -hmm. that helps with the board conversation as well. Yeah. So if Shelly leaves, can we really get somebody to replace Shelly at this, at this level? Or yeah. You know, Darcy leaves, whoever leaves. Uh, and if you're always looking to make your organization better, and you've got to, you've got to increase the, the value of the person in the spot. The other thing I wanted to say is we use um, professional development as sort of a, I mean, you know, it doesn't come out of somebody's salary, mm -hmm. but Lauren, I just saw on my desk this morning a little reimbursement for a trip to Mexico. <laughs> I'm going to Mexico because I got a scholarship. She did. <laughs> to go to Mexico City right. for a community foundation summit. North America Community Foundation And Ellen Pedersen went to a, uh, a conference in Keystone because she asked for a scholarship. So sometimes these professional development opportunities mm -hmm. they, when they offer a scholarship we're small we're rural go for it mm -hmm. uh, and then you can work some professional development into your uh, I consider it a benefit I don't know what the board does well it is part of what I've always appreciated um, <coughs> my job is having is that Pam puts uh, emphasis on the opportunity for professional development and it's always in our budget and I think, especially in a small valley like this, mm -hmm. even if, if someone really wants to go to some type of conference or something that's a little outside of exactly what they do, um, just having that strong interest in wanting to go learn something new and get outside the valley, there's, there's just always value in talking to other people mm -hmm. and making some connections and learning things. I would even suggest that as executive directors, it would be great to bring one of your staff members with you to these kinds of meetings. I mean, we all walk away with a great deal of information and they would have that opportunity too. And it's much easier to have two people telling a story about what you learned in a meeting as opposed to you having to go back and do your job and then disseminate everything that you learned at this meeting too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and it could be on a rotating basis or maybe they come and represent you instead and come back and report. So I think there's easy, um, soft benefits that are available at no cost and hopefully beneficial to your staff. I'd like to hear more brainstorming on those soft thank you gratitude benefits uh, from around the room. We, we had a, um, an assistant director last year that was just absolutely amazing. I mean, she, she was a Western student in the MEM program and um, I just wanted her to I <laughs> 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 do anything to make her happy so that she wasn't going to leave. So that sometimes meant I stepped envelopes and did some of the little, especially with the millennials, um, they don't like to do what they don't like to do. And so I would do things I didn't like to do just so she could do something that she liked to do. 
because I because she was so connected and I valued her. And mm. so I kind of like when I staff I try to find out what do they really, really like to do and oftentimes I'll give up something I like to do so that they can do it and I'll do something different. Mm -hmm. Do any of you do end of year bonuses, things like that? Daniel, you do? We do. We're looking how at that right you, now. I mean, we don't need dollar amounts, but I mean, how do you think in terms of what benefit bonuses go to whom? It's kind of merit, but not really. I mean, it's we we had a number of uh, criteria. How many years have you been with the company? How many? Uh, what you do and those those kind of things, and and so kind of based it on that, and we put it in our budget. But then also we look at our budget and go, oh, payroll is, our payroll expenses are down. So we can provide a bonus and hopefully it's gotta be approved, but, uh, but it's, that's what we basically look at and how much, and then how much can we do? And, and a lot of times the board will say, well, won't you bump that up? Because probably next quarter we'll, we'll we just have so much turnover it seems like. And so we have uh, savings that way. Just to kind of what, what we're in, the business that we're in. So, so that, you know, payroll is down for us too, but because we had turnover, and that doesn't mean, that means the work goes on those who are there. Correct. And so it makes a whole lot of sense. If you've had a lot of turnover and your payroll is low, to not be like, oh, look, we saved all this in payroll, it's, you know, to <coughs> give that to the people who hung out. general I would say up in Crested Butte as compared to Gunnison um, part of that being the seasonality and so there are often jobs up there that are very intense for a certain season and then there's a lot more flexibility later but mm -hmm. I think often people have stayed at jobs longer and probably in my generation as well when there's a lot of flexibility with scheduling so I think mm -hmm. that's really important you know, one thing that um, Shelley had said that I was really struck by is recognizing that every single person in the organization, whether they're cashier or executive director, has a part to play in, in some element of bringing in money, right? Whether it's just making friends who then become donors or, you know, you can imagine it for any role. And when we were, Janice and I were working together at the Gunnison Arts Center a few years back and we were looking into what's legally allowable for bonuses and all that kind of thing. But, you know, it's certainly possible for, once you've got your budget adopted, if everybody knows sort of what part they play within making the money, <laughs> and then is able to define a, a, a goal 
it's like a meter exceed, and then you could, at the beginning of the year, just sort of say, okay, if membership exceeds what we've got targeted in the budget, you know, you can, I, th I think this is even legal in the Society of the Fundraising Professionals, as long as you've got a target that's set in advance for everybody, you can tie a bonus to meeting and exceeding a certain tar target for anybody in the organization, executive director down to cashier. So that might be something you might want to look into too, because then, just like she said, everybody recognizes that they've got a job to play in bringing in the money, and they can also personally benefit from it. One other thing I want to mention when you're talking salaries, um, we're also service oriented that, yes, yeah, some of that is general operating and just doing paperwork and that kind of thing, but a lot of big chunks of salaries or payroll is for service. Mm -hmm. So like for CBAC, we're a forecasting organization. My job obviously is administrative because I'm the development director, but the majority of our payroll is a service driven uh, industry. So we're providing a service. So I don't think that that, that you, that you kind of have to differentiate general operating payroll, I think, and then service-oriented payroll. That mm -hmm. might be a way to kind of push that conversation mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing about an audit or a financial review is it does get broken out into, you know, what's going to your program, what's going to management, what's going to fundraising, mm -hmm. and um, I think that's really helpful. So exciting to hear somebody say they enjoy audits. <laughs> I do, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> so I'm curious about any safeguards as you look at general operating through grants or if you in include salaries in your grant applications. Mm -hmm. um, how, what's the sustainability um, pieces that, that go along with that? Because if you get a grant for general operating and someone is employed at an hourly rate for that money, when that grant goes away, how are you thinking in the future about sustaining that rate of pay for that particular individual if a grant doesn't come through? Right. As we we talked about in the beginning, times are changing, and people's you know donations for um, nonprofits could be really impacted. And I'm wondering how do you safeguard that salary increase when it's soft money that's coming in? I mean, I guess in our example, the the grants where we've been able to put like write payroll in and not be ashamed about it and they actually fund it. Um, they're still pretty small, so you know, like $500 here or $700 there adds up for us. That's a considerable amount and that is soft money. That won't necessarily happen. I think the only way to really do it is just have so much of a multi-pronged approach that if something goes away that you can fill it in somewhere else, you know. So the board isn't saying we'd like to have this dollar amount in our pot that's going to roll over on an annual basis as a safeguard versus we're going to roll with the punches and, and, and go after it no matter what. We're kind of roll with the punches right now mm -hmm. or a little bit more reactive like oh that was a good year let's give good bonuses kind of thing you know and let's uh, you know plan that the next year will be okay but that's why I think those changes have to be incremental because you don't like you said it's all we can't count on any of it so we don't want to make commitments we can't follow through that's why even though I would have loved to double everybody's payroll when I got there it's just not okay you know but if we can grow all the different pots like we've grown membership we've grown you know tours and museum entry fees we've grown individual donations 
and then and then some more grant stuff. If if there are enough prongs, then I think they can mm -hmm. offset each other, and and then you know we do we do leave room for bonus at the end. We're actually uh, that's sort of like a okay if it works out at the end of the year. Well, we'll get we saw a, reward. a grant application um, from KDT a couple of years ago when they were hiring a morning news director. That's correct. <laughs> Whatever Christy yeah, came. And it was it was around, you know, new programming and a big part of that was a staff person. And I think for us, from a grant perspective, it was written very much um, with an eye toward this being built into the budget and just getting off the ground it would be helpful to have some grant funding available for it mm -hmm. and I would venture to guess um, that there was I mean I got the sense that if they didn't get the community foundation grant you know they were probably prepared to give up something else small over here in order to still make it happen it was kind of the and I think that made it a strong application because you could kind of see all those different angles well, what will they do if they don't get this grant and what are they going to do after I think that's part of that <coughs> educational piece that gives you an opportunity with your board members to show that they do have some responsibility associated with your income flows like membership and programming and all that sort of thing and, and making sure everybody understands it because I think sometimes boards members go along with things and they don't like you talk about it's just a warm body in the seat and so that educational component the professional development for them that it sounds like you've provided um, engagement in those conversations and then also flowing back into the into the staffing so they understand how the board is managing and where that new funding is coming from and their role in it. Mm -hmm. And I think switching cultures within a board is really key when you are building the board of the next few years and, and hopefully everybody has rolling terms and not everybody goes off the board at the same time so that when you are nominating new people you're looking at the skill sets and you have a matrix um, that says this person has a, a strength in marketing this person has a strength and you know has been involved with fundraising before this one really knows the numbers and so you build your board with those those um, different skills in mind and then they help teach the other board members and bring them along when when they're a little lacking in knowledge in one area and other board members strong in that area. So, so Daniel's really right about Daniel is, board culture that way. Excuse me again. Daniel's also going to be a step consultant. Um, and so he could come and work with your board on developing this matrix for you guys, like they've done for themselves. It's also coming up on 10, 10 o'clock. Darcy, I think you had a question. And it then if anyone wants to hang out, of course, we're, we can stay. It was just in relation. So I'm, I, I think what, we do a little bit of what you do. We're always like plan A, plan B, plan C. If we don't meet our goals here, how can we readjust? Mm -hmm. Always looking at that. But bringing out Francis was a bigger leap and a bigger financial commitment than we've ever, like our budget is changing dramatically. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I have put in a grant to help us in this first year, but I just calculated out what a new six months reserve would be. And I'm proposing that that leftover amount that we have and because we didn't have the staffing this year that we had planned on goes into a reserve so that if we have an issue 
we have six months to try to fix it versus, oh, crummy, I can't pay a salary. And so we, so that, I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. part of it too. And that's a new thing for us. And you all know that the state of Colorado is raising the minimum wage by 90 cents an hour until it reaches $12 an hour. And so, I mean, that's going to be an impact to your budgets if you're not, if you're not paying, um, if you're paying that minimum wage as you have part-time people come in or something like that, that's going to have an impact to your budget. Long-range strategic thinking. Yeah. Culture shift. Those are yeah. the themes that I've heard from both of our presenters. Well, I love what you said, awesome. Pam, about how are we going to replace somebody. And it is good that we're being forced to um, have more of an employee-driven uh, situation in Crystal Butte right now because I've heard before, oh, well, if this person goes away, then we can get somebody new and start them at, you know, the low, <laughs> right. the low rate, and that'll be good for the budget. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, but I love that, that way of thinking about it, which is, you know, you do have to pay for what you get rather. Well, and Darcy, you asked about right now. And I would venture to guess that if you two, Shelley and Darcy, compared board members, you probably have someone on your board that you maybe could become an advocate who probably knows someone on her board. And if you just got the two of them together, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. might be. That's great to do that. Well, of course, as I say, anyone who wants to hang out and keep talking, but it is 10 o'clock. So let's just thank Daniel and Shelley, which is inspiration on what? You know, as always, again, some of you haven't been to this before. What we do is take my notes, and Shelly said she was willing, I and mean, I'll just talk to both Daniel and Shelly about if they've got typewritten notes or anything. Mm -hmm. But we'll take our notes, consolidate them into a one-page kind of tips and high points of this presentation. Daniel's handouts, et cetera, are all going to be on our website in the nonprofit tab, nonprofit network. Um, sub tab so you can show this to other board members show this to other colleagues so this will be a gift that keeps on giving to the whole nonprofit community <laughs> I hope so thank you very much for coming if you grant coffee if you want to leave a couple of bucks that would be great I'll, we'll just pick it up and settle up with the staff here thank you and hope we'll see you in February thank you and again, you know, when, when Je and Janet and Pam, Janice and Pam were talking about uh, training in perks, professional development, if the Francis's in your organization want, who might be thinking about being nonprofit executive directors someday want to be at this boot camp on January 11th, we welcome them. So, thank you. Uh, is anyone driving across to you? Oh, I can go chat if you want. You're not going to go to City Market? I don't think so. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget your recorder. Oh, yeah. It's probably important. Nah.